This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. I had so much fun this week speaking to Lindsay Kaplan, the Vice President of Communications at Casper. As the VP of Communications there, she launched the Sleep Startup alongside the founding team and leads public relations, social media, creative partnerships, and brand strategy. One of the things that I think you'll see about Lindsay immediately from listening to her interview is just how innovative she is and how ahead of the curve she is in terms of pushing forward for what's next in social media. Take a listen. Welcome, Lindsay, to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. And I have admired uh, Casper's content strategy and also just what they're doing in terms of innovation quite a bit. And then I, I looked into you and I just thought you would be the most wonderful guest to have on the show. I hope I live up to expectations. That's it. I'm building you up. Now you've got to live up to it. So tell me before we get started about Casper, I want to hear about you, the person. Tell me a little bit about the story of your career. How did you get started and how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Um, I I studied English, creative writing, um, all of the liberal arts pizzazz in yep. college, graduated and went to New York and just thought, okay, let's go right into publishing because that felt like a natural entrance as right. an English major. Of course. Started my career at Oxford University Press, working wow. on the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary, um, a lot of fantastic nonfiction. And I, I was temping at Oxford really torn between going down the editorial path or into publicity. And uh, the head of publicity had said to me, I know you, you talk a lot, you've been here for two weeks, you don't shut up, and I'm, I guarantee if you stay in editorial, you're going to be unhappy for the rest of your life. And so, wow. <laughs> and so it wasn't that extreme, but so he really, he really led me down towards publicity, which was not as um, probably sexy to an English major as say editorial would be. And I immediately loved it. I immediately- Was it like, a, when he said it though, was it like a light bulb moment for you? Were you like, of course, or were you unsure when he said it? When you took the jump to say, okay, I'm going to publicity, did you know before you got in that what he said was right and that this was what you needed to do? It was, I felt like I was looking down two paths and one was full of librarians shushing me for the rest of my life. And you really, can't be shushed. I can't be shushed. I see it. I see I, it. I can't be. And the other way was was full of, of, you know, those parties that they pass around wine in plastic glasses. And I felt, let's go down that path. Um, where I can have small talk the rest of my career. Dream. Um, yeah, I went down the path of, of small talk. And so you knew that that was right. I, I had a hunch okay. um, that, that storytelling to me was going to be, an, and relationships and engaging people was going to be uh, much more in line with my personality than line editing copy. Flash forward 10 years and half of my job probably right now is editing copy. Amazing. But I still get a lot of small talk out of it. So, Which is good. Yeah. Um, and so so I went down that road. I stayed at Oxford, 
for a bit, started to feel a little bit like there was more to New York than dictionaries. Yes. And I landed at um, Time Out New York magazine. Great. Um, I I was running publicity there, which was probably the most exciting job any 23-year-old could imagine. I can't imagine. Back in 2007. Now, I don't, I don't even know if that job exists, but in 2007, Time Out New York was big enough to draw me from the uh, fascinating world of dictionaries. And especially because it fits so well with kind of your plastic cup theory. <laughs> like, it's yes. like, it was all, it's parties, it's what's happening in New yes. York, it's very sceney. There were thing. plastic cups for Pla- days. Plastic cups abound. I had a lot of cups <laughs> of cheap wine. Amazing. I enjoyed every one of them. And while I was there, um, this is 2007 uh, into probably 2009, social media at that point was really starting to, to to really stick to brands in a way that hadn't really been paid attention to previously. So as publicist for Time Out, it just made sense for me to put Time Out on Facebook, mm. to put it on Twitter. And at the time, I convinced the editor-in-chief about this new platform called Tumblr, which I thought was going to be huge with young people. Wow. Um, and I remember meeting um, somebody from Foursquare at a bar and thinking, what a great uh, connection we could make with Time Out New York and Foursquare. This is perfect. Again, this is 2009. So I was a little ahead of my time, even though I'm dating myself. Um, I remember bringing Foursquare up the ladder at Time Out. Um, and there was a lot of resistance from the higher ups. Yep. They, they hadn't heard of the platform. They didn't really know about Tumblr. Um, and at that point, I felt like, I was ready to move on to a job that I could take my passion for these different platforms, uh, for engaging people on the internet, um, and bring a different brand forward that was really receptive to those uh, platforms. See, that's a very interesting choice and, and interesting for some of our younger listeners. I've had I've had a lot of people on the show who have been unable to impact change at a certain organization, right? Like they'll try and they can't, and ultimately they either stay at the organization and don't impact the change or they move on. Mm-hmm. You know, they do they do something different within the company or they do, you know, different things. Uh, but I, I think that the people with the career stories that are the most inspiring are just, if you, if you can't impact what your vision is for the org, moving on can be a very, very good thing to do. Yeah. And I, I think I made as much change as I could. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I got through Facebook and Twitter. And did you get them on Tumblr? Did they, did they end up doing it or was there resistance? We were on Tumblr. We, I think we were the second brand on Tumblr after Newsweek. Mm. Um, but you weren't able to get it to the level where you would want to, like the kind of investment and in looking at it. I think the Foursquare conversation for me, the mm. light went off that I was more interested in social media and in digital strategy than I was with PR. Uh. I had I had done PR. I felt like I climbed that ladder and I saw you know more and more cups of wine, yes. and I was more interested in the constant change and flux and innovation of all of these emerging internet uh, platforms. So Amazing. I, I, I feel like I affected change. Uh, once I hit a wall, then I knew it was time to go. Um, and I joined Hachette Filipaki Media, which doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Hachette later was acquired by Hearst. Yes. And so I worked mostly with Elle Magazine. Um, as a social media manager. Okay. So I was the first social media manager hire at Hachette, really, really as Elle Magazine's first social media person. 
And that was a lot of fun because it was a bigger brand. There was more passion and there was just more resources devoted to growing digital. And even now I look at Elle as one of the biggest and finest brands on the internet right now that has a really good understanding of real-time response, of tapping into the audience and knowing who they're writing for um, rather than at. Love it. So, yeah, I, I was at Hachette. It was right about the time that that company was starting to have some issues up top. It was right before they were acquired by Hearst. And although I loved it, I really saw the writing on the wall. Now, this is during the great magazine decline of 2010. So all the magazines were, you know, bleeding ad money. And so I didn't stay there very long. I, I felt like the walls were closing in. And I, I made a jump to the agency side to publicists. Wow. And so you went to, to Publicis, the... I went to Publicis at the time it was called Publicis Modem. Got it, got it. And, and Publicis Modem also, this is like a relic yeah. of the time, a bunch of companies I worked at that don't exist anymore. Publicis Modem, and I'm, I'm really, I mean, that's really dating a company to yes. say it's Publicis Modem. Oh, ah! It actually is. Like nobody even yes. used a modem yes. at that time. Wow. It was a relic. So you, the writing would have been on the wall then. Right. The name so, itself. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I hopped over there as that uh, agency's first social media strategist. Wow. Worked with all of their different clients. So I was a little bit of an in-house resource. Okay. Took the knowledge that I brought from the publisher side, working with L and L Decor, and brought it to brands like Cartier, we did a campaign with Cartier on Tumblr, so full circle there. Great, great. You got your Tumblr wish. Yeah, got my Tumblr wish. And um, we worked with, I I, I consulted with LG, Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, General Mills. Mm -hmm. So a really wide range of different clients. Wow. And each and one, how I was think, the, the shift to the agency side? Was it a big culture adjustment? It was. It was. And I, and you know, I really loved feeling like there was always something different to work on. Yes. And there was always another spinning plate yes. to add to one of my sticks. Yes. So it was it was a big change, but I was really challenged and delighted by all of the different clients and how different their needs were from each person um, who was driving maybe their marketing ship forward to the the needs of the of the corporate business. A lot of times when you are the social media strategist and you're in that space, you're working with every client that they have across the board. So yes. it's, it's very exciting and also a big shift if you haven't done it before, like that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really was fun to know that certain brands needed remedial social media. Yes. Um, Different levels. Exactly. And yeah. other brands wanted a giant global strategy, which looking back, I was probably too young to be making for these companies, and I'm yeah. not going to mention names, yes, yes, that, yes. that some brand implemented a global comms, you know, social yeah. media strategy written by a 25-year-old who was, you know, new to agency world. It's true, but if you think about it at the time, so I'm going to I'm gonna let you off the hook with that, because at the time, it was all so new to everybody. Right. Like, there are some definite core basics that experience will give you, but at that time, people needed sort of that young, fresh, immersive in it Look, right? Who better to write that, it? That's it. I just hope so somebody I, I up said, top cleaned it up. That's, they, maybe they <laughs> did. Maybe they did. But just the, the kind of thought process behind it, they might have needed someone just like you. 
Yeah, and I think with digital, it's a, it's a great industry to be young and driven I in. I do too. Because you are tapped into everything that's happening. Um, and I, I look back and I really enjoy the naivete I had. Yes. Because it allowed me to take chances that yes. maybe now I wouldn't take because I'm getting more risk averse as I climb the ladder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, where did you go from publicist? Publicist modem. That publicist is. modem. <laughs> We're just showing her her really um, the tech savviness, of right? The Which I believe now is was restructured into publicist Kaplan Thayer, uh, so it yeah, still exists, yeah. yes. but they dropped the name. Yes. Very smart branding yes. decision. Although now it'd be kind of retro, right? Mm -hmm. Just saying. Maybe I should bring the modem bring, back. Bring, bring the modem back. Yeah. <laughs> the next company you, you if you create a company, modem. The modem department <laughs> of old yes. school digital yes. social yes. media yes. strategy. Yes. yes. Brilliant. Okay, so after that, after that, I I went to I, I caught that startup bug. Mm -hmm. I had lunch with a VC, Charlie O'Donnell, yep. um, who at the time was at First Round Capital, and we hit it off talking about about digital, about startups. I clearly had that passion mm -hmm. as I was championing Tumblr and yep. Foursquare and yep. all of these new programs that I felt. A brand could really play out on, um, and so I really wanted to go to the other side of that. Yep. So publisher to agency to startup, um, and I actually ended up at a at a fashion commerce startup called Chloe and Isabel. They do a fantastic job impacting entrepreneurial women and giving them a stepping stone in their careers. And from there, I actually went to a few startups in a row, kind of doing this hybrid role of marketing, social media, PR, yep. storytelling partnerships. And that's really where my career kind of landed in this more organic storytelling marketer. Um, from there, I went to DuJour, which was a magazine launched um, in partnership with Guild Group. So yep. it's their foray into, wow. into editorial. Um, and then after that, I went to an app, City Maps, which is um, a mobile map app that was recently acquired by TripAdvisor. I did, after that, the shortest stint in the world at a PR agency. It was bad? Sure. I just, well, when I was at this agency, I met with the guys from Casper. Oh, so it was just fortuitous. So you right. met with them and you were like, right. oh my God, I'm home. Right. Yeah, so I, I, I've, I've heard of well, these it actually, types of stories. It actually wasn't that simple. I got to this agency. I took, I mean, I got cold emailed by the CEO of Casper. It was a really random email where the company wasn't the, the company didn't have yet a name okay so and it was very it was very ambiguous what this they, sleep yeah startup did yes um they were gonna revolutionize sleep right yes and so I live by the mantra always take the meeting always grab a coffee yep. you never know who you're gonna meet yep you never know who you're going to be working with down the line yep met with the guys from which would later be named Casper and I loved them, but looked them square in the face and said, I'm not doing another startup. I right. just did four startups in right. a row. I'm really burned out. The work is just grueling. The hours are tough. The passion, the drive you need to really just move a small business forward is so demanding. And I put them off for a few months. We kept emailing, we kept emailing. Mm -hmm. um, I said no many times. Mm -hmm. And finally, I think it was four months later, I, I met with them again, and I recommended friends. This is like right. the, the sad part. You were basically dating, right? It's when, you're, when someone's wooing you, it's like, dude, you're it like, maybe was. I'll go out with my friend. Go out with this friend. This yes. person will be good for you. Yes, I mm -hmm. set them up. Yeah, with, you set them up on dates. I totally mm -hmm. did. Yep. And I had that moment 
which anybody remembers from Clueless. I, I remember everything from Clueless. So okay, there shall so, be no, so no Cher's in, like, at the mall, yeah. and she's in front of the oh, fountain, and the Josh. lights go on. She's like, maybe I love Josh. Yeah, exactly. She, you love Josh. I loved Casper. Oh, I had been, got it. it. Right. So I I've been recommending them. my friends, and it occurred to me that maybe this would be the last startup, and I maybe this is my job. Amazing. So you told them. So, Were they yeah Casper at that point? Had they become Casper? At that point, the name had, had been, the name had been had been named. Okay. And I joined just a, a, I think I signed those papers two or three weeks prior to the launch of Casper. Amazing. So you've been there since the beginning. I've been there since the beginning. My first day was really the day before launch. <gasps> wow. And how long now have you been there? How long has it been? Um, that was two and a half years ago. Wow. You know what I think about you? I can tell you from listening to your story and the themes is that uh, you have a, no, it's a good thing. You have a tremendous gut. You have a really, really good gut sense of when to move and where and why. Like you recognized very early uh, on the on the publicity front, you recognized very early that you loved social media more than, and you really, you recognized that you were worried about startups, but then as you realized, and you had your I love Josh, I love Casper moment. I did. That maybe it was where you were supposed to be and you just needed to find the right one. I, I, I definitely go with my gut and I also think that in business, sometimes the writing is on the wall. Yeah. And you can't change sometimes a business that's already on a set path. Sometimes you're so in it, though, it's hard to see. And I think for, yeah. for you, uh, what I see is that you see. And that's such a good, that's such a good quality. It's when my contacts are in. When your contacts are I've in. Got, I've got 20, but when 20, the 20 vision. When they're out, then maybe it's Maybe that's why you didn't know you love Casper right away. Maybe. Maybe. Didn't have to get my contacts in. <laughs> yes. So Casper has a really uh, amazing approach, I think, to their content strategy. Thank you. And so you were there since the beginning. So obviously yeah. you've been involved in forming this. Talk to me a little bit about the approach that Casper takes to social media and to content marketing in general. Mm -hmm. So Casper really believes in connecting with people. And I think every brand thinks they're connecting. But in the very beginning, we made such a a big deal about these one-to-one -one conversations that were authentic and genuine and really was just me yep. on my phone yep. tweeting with yep. our, I think for the first six to 10 months yep. of Casper's life, if you had a conversation with Casper on Twitter or on Facebook, yep. you were talking directly with me. Nice, nice. Um, I was constantly glued to my phone um, and, and the the self-aware relationship that is built on the irony that you were tweeting with the brand. And so we think it's funny that people follow a mattress brand. Right. It's funny that anybody tweets at us right. outside of customer right. uh, support questions. That's a different story. Right? Like, why would anybody have a conversation with a mattress company? Right. And that absurdity is so much fun for us to play into. Um, and we are very, we've always been really self-aware of that bizarre feeling of a brand on social media and we play into it. So you embrace that versus looking at it and saying, why would we even be here? You say, we're going to be here and we're going to be unironic about kind of our approach in its irony. You're yeah. Just well, it's like everybody's in on the joke. Right. I think brands fail when they make a joke and the they don't really know that the customer is in on it. Right. Everybody knows now that everything a brand does is advertising. Of course. And so the conversations have to be authentic and real, but also it has to somehow point to the irony that the conversation's even happening. 
Yes. Whether it's a box of cereal you're tweeting with, or it's a box of mattress you're tweeting with, there is something really bizarre about that. There's something very much out of the infinite jazz, David Foster Wallace, this commoditized society we're living in. Right. That you're having a conversation with a brand. Right, all of a sudden brands are people. Right. Right, so that's very interesting because the shift, I think, in social has gone towards more, um, treating it more like an advertising unit, like we have a piece of content and we advertise it out using all of the various ad mechanisms, and Mm -hmm. less, in many ways, less about conversation. But it sounds like Casper, in a lot of what you've done is very focused on not only having the conversations, but but recognizing what those conversations are kind yeah. of about. Yeah, and I think, I, you know, to me, paid media is only as good as the content you're putting out there. Absolutely. Right? If your creative sucks, you're not going to get great performance. Absolutely. You can put as much money as you want behind that Facebook post. And our, you know, some of our best performing uh, content pieces in our blog posts again, recognize that irony. So one of our blog posts, I think it's titled Seven Reasons Why This Blog Post Is Trying to Sell You a Mattress. Brilliant. And the engagement. That's that's actually perfect in terms of, it's a perfect description of uh, kind of the irony of the recognizing of who you are and where you are in your space. Right. Yes. Right. And so, but it's, it's written well and it's funny, but it also, um, it wouldn't probably have taken off if we didn't have great paid support behind it. But then again, it's not going to perform well if the content's not good and of it's course. entertaining people. Of course. So yeah. you have all this content production. Is that all done internally? How does that work? It's almost all done internally. Amazing. We occasionally tap into some freelancers, yep. um, but most of it is done on a with a very small team of phenomenal writers. And how are you measuring the success of your social media efforts? Like, what is the what is the metric that matters to you? Love. Love. Is that bullshit? No, it's not. It's love. So I think with social media and also with PR, people can talk about whatever metric they want. You could talk about likes, shares, retweets. You could talk about impressions, which is my least favorite way of measuring anything yes. um, because it's it's complete BS. Yeah. To me, it's did this create love for the brand? It's yeah. beyond affinity and advocacy. When when you're reading this, do you fall a little bit more in love with Casper? And we can measure those in different ways, right? Okay. Sometimes it's conversation. And each element that we that we create, sure, we do we do measure, but each one's different. I don't have an overarching metric that says uh, to my CMO, at the end of the year, we had, you know, seven billion uh, shares, and that's success, and we went twenty percent over, and you know we've we've done it. Hurrah. Everything we do from a blog post, which may be really how it performs on paid, yep. to uh, a social program such as, so we just launched our Insomnia chatbot. Yep. Sometimes it's it's press accolades. Sometimes it's just conversation. And sometimes it's something that helps grow our brand. So you're putting together the story to show how, how in fact, it drives love. Yes. I love it. And I love the Insomnia bot. I also think that taps right into that same kind of not taking yourself too seriously, but also providing value. Like I love um, the concept that you have. So talk, talk a little bit about Insomnibot. Sure. Because yep. I loved it yep. the second I saw it. Insomnibot 3000. Um, it is a late night insomnia chatbot that is only up and functional between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m., which is great because I am pretty much at night owl up till 3. And it's very lonely at 3 in the morning. You are not really working the Insomnibot, are you? Is it you? <laughs> 
Zalba. No. Are you the Zalba? No. Oh you God. cannot be. Can it's you a imagine? Bot. Okay. It, it is a bot. It's a bot. It's a bot that we programmed. Okay. 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 Um, the writing does come from myself right. as well as the comms the team. team. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> imagine it were like Twitter though. Like you really were just chatting with all those people yourself. That would be, I, I would be so burned out. You would be. Yeah. It would be I would hard. need to be lugging a Casper mattress. But you're up. Are you watching the bot? Like, do you watch what goes on? So I don't, I'm not privy to those conversations. Yeah, so you can't see the conversation. Yeah, I want to make sure that people have private yes, conversations. Yes, yes, of course. The they have their own bot conversations. Right. Um, yeah. I have had some great conversations with the bot. Oh, so you just get on there and talk to the bot? Oh, yeah. Of course. It's lonely makes at 2 a.m. That makes total sense. Yeah, so I love it. The bot creates um, <laughs> a, a, it's really a late night companion. So I even love it. even if you have a Casper mattress, sheets, pillows, the whole shebang, sometimes you just can't go to sleep at and night. You need to talk to your Casper bot. Insomnia bot. Right. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you obviously are you have a lot of passion for the space and, and you're very socially savvy. Talk to me a little bit about how you use social personally. The fact that you work in the space, does it make you when you get home? want to shut it off and be done like because it's part of your job or are you so immersed in it that it's a kind of all the time thing? I think the harder I work, the less I tweet. Mm. But I, I can never, I mean, I have TweetDeck on my computer up and, and going all day mm-hmm. and constantly checking social. Mm-hmm. I love Twitter. Even if I'm not posting as much as I, as I want to, Twitter has always been my favorite platform. Really? I'm a... I like puns. I like jokes. What better platform for there a are a solid, lot of puns? I'm I'm known in the office to write a tweet and then tell my team, "Hey, did you guys look at my tweet? It's really funny." So does it make you sad that they've been struggling lately? It does. It does. Um, I know that they're in talks. It sounds yeah, like the rumors be. say they're in talks with everybody from There's Salesforce, four. Salesforce, to... Google, Verizon. Yeah. I mean, they are in talks. So we'll see. I don't know what they what exactly they need to do because they do have the media support, you know, where we were talking about the debate. I mean, Twitter is where you go for that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's sad to me that a good uh, platform doesn't always make money. Right. And it's not always sustainable. Right. As a business. And it's taken on. So, I mean, it's just, it's not unfortunately sustainable yep. as it is. Yep. And sometimes I think companies grow out of themselves. And as an early adopter, which you were, do you um, embrace and enjoy taking on some of the newer networks or have you gotten to the point where it's a struggle? Like looking at when you're going into Snapchat, do you immediately jump into Snapchat and say, okay, this I've got to be into and be really excited about? I do. And I love Snapchat. So I'm probably on Twitter and Snapchat more than any other uh, social network at this point. Although I, I haven't gotten into Instagram stories. I feel like I'm such a Snapchat fiend that I feel a little bit bitter that Instagram ripped it off. And I've, I'm so devoted to my Snapchat following. That I, I, you know, I felt this way. It's very interesting because I have a teenage daughter, as I told mm-hmm. you, and we talk about this all the time. And Charlotte was like, no way are, is Instagram stories going to take off. They totally ripped it off. Snapchat is everything that's cool. Instagram trying to be cool makes it inherently uncool. Right. Um, but I have seen the adoption go up. And I think it's because of the way that they structured the feed, that the mm-hmm. prominence of the Instagram stories um, creates an incentive to be at the top of everyone's feed. So they, yes. they introduced algorithm at, at the same time as they introduced that kind of top layer, which I think was very 
uh, very smart, but I very also sneaky. find it's very, very sneaky. sneaky. I mean, they're, they're brilliant. Yeah. I don't know. So it's, it's an interesting thing to see. I'm still a Snapchat story girl. And then I would post Instagram just in my feed, mm -hmm. still the artfully crafted. Right. Instagram is for, I do, I do usually, I'm guilty now of doing a baby photo every of, few days. Of course relegated to Instagram. Nobody it wants to follow goes, me on it only Instagram. Goes to Instagram. Instagram yeah, and I, I'm on Facebook. Better. You do not want to follow me yep. on Instagram yep. unless you are a member of my family yep. or you are guilted into following me because you work with me you just see and the I talk about my kid. Exactly. Yeah. Don't follow me on Instagram. It's yep. horrible. Unless I you like it. babies. So people do like I'm babies. I'm losing babies followers do, right now. Babies do very it. well on social media. Babies do well. He's he's got a lot of red hair, and that's so that's <gasps> redheaded babies. Redheaded babies, yeah, so with with the dog together. Oh, forget it's babies cheating. and puppies. It's babies and puppies. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you probably just increased your following. Maybe. So let's let's just. Maybe. I wouldn't I wouldn't bet you lost anyone there. So I hope not. It would be very interesting. Okay, but to your question yes. from before, I I think there is a giant part of me that always wants to stay with what I know. Yep. And it took me a while to get on Snapchat. Yep. Um, and one of my colleagues at Casper was joking with me and said, you can't just not download the new app. You can't right. just not use Mojis right. because you're just going to start getting old and irrelevant. Right. You have to use it. You have <laughs> to. So you have to. It was so true. It snapped me out of my um, my defensive sort of, I don't know it, I don't have time for that. And for all technology, even when the new iPhone, um, iOS comes out, and I really don't want to update because I'm I, so used to did it. Did you do it? Yeah. I forced myself to. I have to do it. You have to. I have, you have to. to. Dave did that. that the so human funny. condition is to adapt. Yes, and so regardless. We have to adapt. Right. So regardless of the network, regardless of of how difficult it is because these new notifications are so annoying. Yep. Within three weeks, you're not going to notice exactly. and it's going to be the new normal. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. The human condition is to adapt. That's a good gem. It's okay. good to tell brands It's too. good to tell brands. Let's tell them right now. Right. You all must adapt. Okay. This is wonderful. Tell me where you want, I know, not Instagram. Where do you want people to follow you? Where's the best place? I would assume Twitter. Yeah. You can follow me at Twitter. Lizzie is that where Cap. they should connect? I love Twitter. Okay. You have to tweet Lindsay Cap and tell her how awesome this podcast was. That's pretty much a requirement. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I, yeah, I love Snapchat. Love Lindsay Snapchat Cap. too. I'm Lindsay Cap Lindsay Cap, what, don't you think it's important to keep kind of that same name? If you name? can. If, if you, you can. can. It's been hard with Casper. Oh, yes. Very hard. Very a little hard. bit of a well, challenge. Yes. Yes. We've yes. got almost everything except Snapchat. So we're Casper on Twitter. Oh, Casper Facebook. would be hard on Snapchat, right. I feel. Once we got Twitter. Yeah. My life changed. Yeah, that's it. You were so happy. So happy. I, I could picture the day. Exactly. I could actually picture it. Happening. And once we got verified. Forget it. Wow. The blue check. It was over. I went home early. Amazing. I popped too many <laughs> bottles of champagne that day. Amazing. Everyone, follow Lindsay Cap on Twitter. Connect with her. Lindsay, thank you so much for being on the show. You are one fabulous social lady. Thank you. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.